The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters, where we simply take the time to have conversations about our walk with God. And we have the time to talk face-to-face and heart-to-heart about biblical truths that changes our perspectives, it changes our response to trial and challenge and change in our lives, and most importantly, it changes our relationship with God. Glad you could join me. If you recall from our last conversation, which, and let me just say, grab that cup of coffee or that glass of water or that green tea, and let's just take the time to talk about what I think are serious matters in the spiritual life, how we can hold God's hand and walk through life beginning to end until the sun sets for us. And we were looking at the life of Abram and his call, but In our last conversation, what we really began to address is what happens when the best made plans go awry. What happens? What do we do? What should be our response? Well, we are going to pick up in Genesis 11, where we left off, verse 32. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And Jehovah said to Abram, Go out of thy land, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, to the land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed." Wonderful promise. But we see Tira died. And not only that, we are told in verse 30 of chapter 11 that Sarai was barren. And if you recall, we were considering the life of King Asa of Judah and how he started out well in terms of his trust in God. And at the latter part of his reign, uh, of course, uh, a million-man army came up against him, and he, by virtue of faith in God to deliver them and him as the ruler, his faith was rewarded with a great victory. And about 15 years or so after that great victory, uh, we are told in Second Chronicles, in fact, why don't you just take the time to go there? I, uh, that way we are on the same page. Second Chronicles chapter 16 and uh, about the first nine verses. But I'm going to summarize. 
Essentially, what King Asa did when Baasha, king of Israel, came against him is that he went to the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, and he established a league with him by going in and taking of his treasures, the king's treasures, and the gold and silver from the temple. And he essentially bought Ben-Hadad's allegiance. And he used what we have often used, which is time-tested experience. And he reasoned to himself, well, if my enemy has a larger army than me, then I will align with someone else and our combined forces will be larger than my enemies. And that may uh, encourage, I'll say, my enemy to put off their campaign. And that's exactly what happened. But I want to share something that is a life lesson for many of us. And we all at one point in our Christian walk have made this error. After that victory, the man of God, Hanani, he came to King Asa, verse 7 of chapter 16 of Second Chronicles, and he said this to him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and hast not relied on Jehovah thy God, therefore has the army of the king of Syria escaped out of thy hand. Now this is a life lesson of great import. You see, King Asa was a man of God. He was a person of faith, as many of us are, are listening to this uh, podcast. And he did something that many of us have done. And that is this. He trusted time-tested horizontal experience, perhaps that our parents have used, the logic that our friends have used, and others have made recommendation, and so forth and so on. But the man of God, the seer, told him that the attitude of his heart, the position of his heart, was what was incorrect. He was looking to Ben-Hadad to deliver him. He trusted, he put his confidence in Ben-Hadad, in the alliance, the allegiance of Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad was his go-to card, so to speak. And the seer reminded him of the great victory he had previously against the Ethiopians and the Libyans with their million-man army. And he said this, verse 8 of the same chapter. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with many chariots and horsemen? And here it is. When thou didst rely on Jehovah, he delivered them into thy hands. And now we come to the promise that I just absolutely love. I love this promise. It has such great import and potential blessing. Here it comes. Verse 9. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. And you know what that tells me? It says to me, Christian, God is searching the earth right now, right this very moment, because he's looking for that person, that one person 
that he can show himself mighty in their lives. But the requirement is that that person's heart needs to be looking to him perfectly. Now, what does that mean? It means that when I assess my circumstance, I am not depending on the horizontal wisdom or what my mother's advice might have been or my father's advice, albeit it might be good advice. But if in my heart, my reliance, my expectation, my trust, my dependence, my hope is in anything or anyone or any system apart from God and his great and precious promises, my heart isn't perfect towards him. But this is important for this reason as we consider the life of Abram. You see, he was at the point where Terah is dead. And now he's at a crossroads of a decision. Do we return? Do we continue? And this, this disappointment, if you will, becomes God's opportunity to show his grace in a man's life. My dear friend, I want to, right at this point, encourage you by simply saying that my disappointment is always God's opportunity. My disappointment is God's opportunity. Because it is at that point that the grace of God became effective in this man's life and at that crossroads he said, as the scripture says, go out of thy land from your kindred, your father's house, to a land I will show you. And now, this is the, if you will, the method that God uses with many of us. This is not a name it and claim it and all of a sudden I'm, I'm where I need to be and life is great and I'm experiencing great blessing. No, this isn't that. This is a God shows up by his great and precious promises and speaks to me in the midst of my disappointment. In fact, I want to go back as I'm thinking about it. Go back with me, please, to 2 Peter chapter 1. One of those uh, great and precious promises. And this is what it says. Chapter 1, 2 Peter Verse 3, as his divine power has given to us all things which relate to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us by glory and virtue, through which he has given to us the great and precious promises, that through these, that is, these promises, ye might become partakers of the divine nature. God gives us promises so that we can participate with his very present, invisible nature. This is perhaps the greatest experience that a human being can have. That is, to hold the hand of God in such a way that the unseen God, the almighty, the all-present, the omnipotent one, is active 
in my life. How so? Because he's given a promise or promises to strengthen our resolve, to strengthen our faith, to cause us to look to him to bring what he has promised to pass. And this is what he has done with Abram. This is so important because at the point of crisis, he tells this man, keep going, leave your land, your kindred, your father's house, all that is familiar to you. And I will show you a land. I'll show it to you. And then he gives him promises concerning himself, his name, and the effect of his obedience on the whole earth. But God commits, Jehovah commits to showing him the land. In other words, it is Abram's responsibility to go. It is God's responsibility to show. And I want to just remind you, as I remind myself, there are promises that can be immediate and those that are progressive. And it's predicated on my obedience. See, that's the operative word. That's the catalyst. My willingness to obey what God has said and his willingness to demonstrate his grace by bringing to pass what he has promised. And what was immediate? He says, I'll show you the land. So Abraham can reason, and many of us need to reason, that if I continue to walk by faith, there's a certain immediacy about the fulfillment of God's promise. I'll show you the land. God had to show him. He had limited resources. I'm sure he had a caravan of people and flocks and and herds and so forth. He was a wealthy man. But he had limited resources, so he would travel for weeks on end, perhaps three to four, if not five months, we are told, that this trip could have lasted. So his resources were limited. God was aware of that. But his only task, every day, at the end of the day, he had to ask himself one question. And that is this. Has Jehovah spoken and told me this is the land? If the answer is no, tomorrow or whatever day we pack our things and continue on the journey, I have to go because God has promised to show me the land. That's immediate. Other promises are progressive, meaning there's a long-term effect. And we don't know the scope of this effect. But he says, I'll make you a great nation. Well, that would take several hundred years. Because it was 400 years plus that Jacob and his family went into Egypt before they came out as a mighty nation. And of course, add to that the years that Abram spent in the land of Canaan. But when you go to the New Testament, and especially the book of Romans, we, those of us who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, are Abraham's seed. (laughs) So, yeah, God kept this promise that took several thousand years. And he really did make of Abram a great nation, a nation of believers comprising of Jew and Gentile, one body. Oh, yes, God keeps his promises. Here's the the mystery of it. We can't fathom the scope of what God has for us, but it is predicated on our obedience. 
the Lord Jesus even said that uh, just uh, prior to his crucifixion, when he met with the disciples in the garden in John 14. But he says, if you keep my commandments, I will show myself to you. And in the same conversation, he said, if you keep my commandments, I and my father will make our abode with you. This is going to be a divine relationship between a man and his God in such a way that no one will know the intimacy of that relationship except you and God. It's personal. Just like God spoke to Abram and made a personal commitment to bless this man, a progressive blessing. I will make of you a great nation. I will make your name great. Here we are, a few thousand years later, perhaps 4,000 years thereabouts, since Abraham's time, Abram's time, and his name is great. We're still talking about him. I'm still talking about him. God keeps his promises. But not only that, he said to him that he'll make his name great. He'll be a blessing. He'll bless those that bless him, curse those that curse him. And here it is. In him, all the families of the earth. This is a global influence. From where I'm sitting, I could see a map of the, of the entire earth and all the nations, all the continents. And he's saying to this one man, the entire earth will be blessed by your obedience. What about you, my friend? Many of us want a shortcut to blessing. But God has a long journey to blessing. And sometimes that journey is wrought with disappointment. He said, I'll make you a great nation. I'll make your name great. I'll make you a blessing. I'll be a go-between your friends and your foes. In fact, if you obey, there'll be global blessings to all the families of earth. And so Abram went, and the scripture says, for example, verse 6, And Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And Jehovah appeared to Abram and said unto, unto him, thy, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar to Jehovah who had appeared to him. Now it really gets good because God has brought into Abram's life the fulfillment of this grand promise, at least part of it. But remember what, what we discussed at our last conversation? That very often, the, the, the potential problem is God's open door of opportunity. And it says it there in the seventh verse that the Canaanite was then in the land. That's a problem. That's a problem. Canaanites were peddlers, traffickers, if you will, which is what the name Canaanite means. That's a potential problem. This is the second disappointment. Actually, it's the third disappointment because Sarai was barren. Terah died, and now the Canaanite is in the land. Yet, even in this place where there appears to be a potential problem, Jehovah said, this is the land. This is now the second time that God revealed himself to Abram. I would like to ask you a question. When you look at the mosaic of your life, what were those significant times when God showed up? 
This is a favorite phrase of my sister. She loves to say, God showed up. And she uses that phrase to indicate that it was a, uh, a grand moment when the evidencing or the answer to prayer was clearly by the hand of God and not by any of the machinations of any person herself included. And even though there was the Canaanite, God broke through and spoke again. None of us have ever heard the voice of God, but we have the word of God. And we need to meditate on this word until such time that it's clear that the Spirit of God is speaking to me, that he awakens my conscience and my mind and heart to the reality and the scope of what he has promised to do in my life. But not only that, I want to say this. Many of us want blessing for the sake of blessing. But when God blesses us, it is really for the benefit of others. Someone else has to come away being bettered, if you will. Their life has to have been improved in some measure, great or small, by virtue of God's blessing in my life. And if that is not the case, I need to reevaluate. Re Scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so forth. These are, are evidences of the presence and power of the Spirit of God to transform a life such that others can be touched by this. And so Abram did something that was of great significance. And I want to bring this to your attention. He built an altar to Jehovah. And the scripture says, who appeared to him. Here's a man, an idolater, a pagan. But God appeared to him. And this encounter was of significance. In fact, it was so significant that he wanted to memorialize the event. Many of us have significant events, but sometimes we miss the fingerprint of God on the event. I've had a few that I... Uh, would love to talk about it. and perhaps later on in our conversations uh, when we really get beside those quiet, still waters, that I'll share a few things of, that were of significance to me and perhaps you uh, might want to share a few things with me that are of significance. But to this man, this pagan, when he reflected on the fact that the God of heaven that cannot be caricatured by human hands of wood and stone and, uh, or metals, the unseen God who is everywhere, always, all-knowing, all-powerful, broke into this man's life, if you will, inserted himself through that door of disappointment, of loss, and in the midst of Sarah's, Sarai's barrenness, Terah's death, and the Canaanite in the land, the presence of God was made known. Oh, my dear friend, this is the grace that we ought to appeal to God to be, to, to 
bring into our lives that in spite of whatever I am facing today, whatever presses my soul to the point of extremity, where I'm not sure what I should do, what direction I should go, this is the opportune moment to come quietly before God, as the psalmist says, and beseech him for grace. To do what King Asa had done when the Ethiopians and the Libyans were against him. He looked to Jehovah and to Jehovah alone in the midst of his crisis. And the man of God said to him, when he had done that, Jehovah fought for him and gave him the victory. And for us, here we are having conversations, if you will, beside still waters, seeking to learn how I, you, we, may be able to hold the hand of God and walk with him through our life's challenges. Oh, my dear friend, let us seek opportunities to recollect yet again those significant times that God stepped into our arena and brought blessing and deliverance in the midst of disappointment. And may we, in our hearts, establish a memorial, a reminder of the grace and goodness and loving kindness of God. And our Father, we ask again for each of us and those who may be out there struggling with some disappointment, some loss, that they might find you to be an ever-present help in time of trouble as they quiet their hearts, as we all quiet our hearts beside still waters. Thank you for joining Besides Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.